Okay, I got to move fast today because you know how long it took me to get through the, the Jesus' ministry here on earth. Three-year ministry, and it took me like a year and a half. So today I want to start at eternity past and get you up to 30 AD. So fasten your seatbelts and let's go. See you, uh, Rick. Uh, thanks for reminding me about those Rick and Graham days. They were a part of our youth ministry years ago, and the two of them together were a barrel of fun. Right, Rick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love them, love them. And the Lord did do a great work uh, with Graham. So uh, thank you, Jesus. Um. Let's try to make sense of the New Testament for you real quick. You've got uh, these books that are there in order. Uh, Let me throw this slide up for you real quick. A few years ago, uh, I've taken this message from a book called The Greatest, The Untold Story Ever Told, The Greatest, I don't remember what it was, but it's Frank Viola. If you want to know what it is, ask me later. Uh, not the picture of Frank Viola, but the author. And so Caitlin Tyner and I actually went through the book and put the, the information together on this slide. It's not there. It didn't download. So here's what you can do, because I was prepared. You can go to Levener.com, and it's on the front page of Levener.com. Right now, you can open up your phone, go there, and you can push on it, right-click it, say Save Image. And you've, it's a document that you're going to want to have. It's just a picture of an Excel spreadsheet, which I love, uh, nerd. But we've taken like Paul and the New Testament books, and we've put them in chronological order how they were written. Like in the New Testament, Galatians is the first book that's ever written. Paul wrote the letter uh, to the church at Galatia, and that was after his second missionary journey. That was before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were ever written. You see what the council did that put the New Testament together. They put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Acts at the beginning. And then they took all of Paul's letters to the churches and they arranged them according to size. The longest, which is Romans, to the shortest, which is Philemon. Doesn't even make sense. And then they've attached all the other books after that. So that's the New Testament and how it is arranged. So what I want to do as we continue, we've obviously gone through the Gospels. Now I want to take you through Acts. And when we go through Acts, it's basically Paul's missionary journeys, his first journey, his second journey, his third journey, and possibly even what we call his fourth journey. And as he goes to the different churches and starts those churches, he leaves them but then he writes them letters of encouragement, and as we get to those letters, I'll go through the actual letters. We could be here a long time, maybe to eternity past. So, all right. <clears throat> here's, here's one other thing I want to say as we jump into this series, is as we refer to the church, I'm not referring to the church as the institution, but more as the community. This is a community of people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came here on earth to be our Savior and forgive us of our sins. And that community gathers 
together what we're doing right now, and that is the church. So when I say the church, we're not just talking about Levener. We're talking about all the believers that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the big picture is this. The big picture has at its center an unbroken pattern of God's working. Like, He's been working from the beginning, and this pattern that I'm talking about, it actually reflects God's ultimate goal. There's the books. It, it downloaded. So you can get that on leavener.com. There it is. So you can see right here, uh, Acts is actually written in 63 AD, and then Galatians was written in 49. The last book is Revelation written by John. He was out on the island of Patmos when he wrote that. So the, the whole New Testament was written in a span of about 21 years. Starting in uh, 49 AD, that's like 19 years after Jesus died. 19 years after Jesus died. Just painting the picture for you, all right? So this pattern that God has established here is to have community on this earth that expresses his nature in a very visible way. Like what you experience right here in this room is the expression of God. That's a pretty cool thing to think about that you are part of that expression that God has intended from the very beginning. It's Now, as we go through this, it's also it's great for reading one's own biases into this text, but it's horrible for understanding the intent if you don't understand the intent by the biblical authors. Like when people are reading the Bible today, they're starting to read it with their own biases in it. And they're making it say things that it wasn't ever intended to say. This thing is getting twisted. And so literally you have to go back in history and look at the authors and the content and the context that they've written it in and go with that. In other words, my filter for understanding the Scripture is the Scripture itself. You take a passage of Scripture and you filter it with the rest of the 65 books, 66 books total. Like it all has to make sense to work together. If it doesn't, then we end up having everybody having their own gospel, their own Bibles, and their own thoughts on Christianity. So historical context of the New Testament is important. Now let me start from the very beginning. Eternity past. Uh, this might freak a little bit of you, a few of you out here, but uh, in the past, there's God, there's Jesus, and the Spirit. They've always existed. Always. From eternity past to eternity future. Titus 1, 1 through 2 says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. That's a big deal right there. Before time began. You see, what you're living in right now is this linear timeline, right? Today is what, May the 26th, uh, 2019? And it's exactly 
9.48 right now. Now it's almost 9.49. You're in this linear timeline. So God existed before time even began. He was there along with Jesus, along with the Father. And God's purpose, His whole purpose in the beginning was to create a community on earth that would reflect the community among the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. From the very beginning, He wanted to create a community that would commune with them. That should make you feel pretty good. Because He created you to be in communion with the Trinity. That is your purpose for life. John 17 says this, verse 21. May they, this is Jesus, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. We just went over this. This was Jesus talking to the disciples right before he was to go to the cross. May they also be in us. God, I'm in you and you're in me. May they be in us. May we commune together so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me. <laughs> You've been given the glory of God that's inside of you. <laughs> really? Amen. <laughs> I got two amens. You've been given the glory of God that lives inside of you. There you go. He says, I'm in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. Ephesians 3, verse 9 through 11 says this, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He literally has come here to commune with us, us in them and them in us, which is amazing. Now, if that's the case, last night, I got a chaplain call, went, uh, there was a death. I was with the daughter. Obviously, it was uh, gut-wrenching. She's like, she's with my dad now. She joined my dad. She's already there, da-da-da-da-da. And I wasn't going to get into a theological discussion with her, but for some reason, I think we're already there. Like, if from the foundation of the world, G God, Jesus, and the Spirit had planned on being here, and there, there, is no, there was no time. You have to go deep here with me. There was no time, and I'm in Christ. I've always been in Christ. For I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It, me it means I was literally crucified at Calvary. I died with Jesus. I rose again with Jesus. I've been with Jesus all the way back to eternity past. That's a crazy thought. I don't know if we join people in heaven. Ephesians says that we're already seated in the heavenlies up there. 
I think that we're already there. We're living out our life here on this earth, but I think that we're there. I think that we've always been in communion with the Father. I think we've always been in in communion with Jesus. We've always been in communion with the Spirit. Just as they intended from the... That's a little far-fetched. I get it. God who sees the end from the beginning takes the first steps now in carrying out this plan. He sees the end. Within the eternal Son are hidden ones that God has chosen to be a part of this ordained community, which is you. And get this. Those hidden ones, their names, your names, are written in an eternal volume called the Book of Life. Throughout Revelation, it refers to the book of life. In Revelation 3, 5, it says this. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. There is a book of life. And if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, your name is in there. And you want to know the crazy thing is? He knew this from the very beginning. He knew the choice that you would make. He knew because he knows the whole timeline. He knew before he even created the timeline that you would make this decision to love him, to follow him, to trust him, to obey him. It says this, God completes all things before he creates things. Watch Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. For we have believed... For, who, for we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will never enter my rest. Now watch this. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. The foundation, creation. God fin- and in other words, God created and he put it into motion and he rested. Like, he says it worked but he's rested. It's already done. It's already done. God's eternal purpose now, it provokes him to create this universe and this earth back from the very beginning. And he weaves into creation pictures and symbols of his son in this future community which we're living in that will express his nature. That's eternity past. Now, he's got a put into motion. So what does he do? He does the second thing. He sends his son to the earth. Jesus, he sends him to the earth. The son will come to the world and establish this community that God purposed in this timeless past. It says in Galatians 4.4, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Watch this. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Talking about a husband and wife, but I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the Jesus part. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Husbands, see this. What he's saying here is Jesus came, loved his bride so much that he gave his life to make us pure, 
holy and cleansed. Verse 27, it says, He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. You are holy and blameless. He did that. He came to earth, he died, he rose again, and he made you holy and blameless. Why do you walk around like you're sinners, seeking forgiveness, when he's already made you holy and blameless that one time he died on the cross? And then I asked this question, uh, how, did, how did Jesus' life become the division of the world history through our dating system? Right? Have you ever thought about that? The whole BC, AD thing? Let me read to you some things. This is just history. It's commonly thought that BC stands, before, stands for before Christ. And A.D. stands for after death. That's partially true. It's half correct. B.C. does stand for before Christ. But A.D. actually stands for Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. So now you've got B.C. and A.D. And how could the year 1 B.C. have been before Christ and the 1 A.D. been after death? There's... There's no zero there, by the way. There's no zero. So the division of time, the division of our calendar, it actually was not fully implemented and accepted until several centuries after Jesus' life here on earth. The year numbering system for the common era was devised by the monk Dionysius. In the year 525, 500 years after Jesus was born, he wanted to replace this calendar and the way that we counted the years because the person that was in rule was actually destroying and persecuting Christians. And he wanted to change that. He wanted to wipe that error out. And so he attempted to number the years from an event that referred to as Jesus incarnate, Jesus coming to earth, God sent his son, And he labeled the column of the Easter table in which he introduced the new era, Anna Domini, the year of the Lord. The numbering of the years in this manner became more widespread with its usage in England in 731. England also introduced the practice of dating years before the supposed year of the birth of Jesus and the practice of the year not using zero. Then watch this in history. In 1422, Portugal became the last Western European country to switch the system begun by Dionysus. So in the year 1400, the whole world recognized the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now today, modern history, they're trying to change that from B.C. and A.D. to C.E., the common era, the Christian era, to B.C.E., before common era, before Christian era, before the current era. They're trying to change it. The fact is, 
the years are still divided based upon the incarnation of Jesus. Then the third thing. Okay, now Jesus has come. Jesus has come and divinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Spirit takes on humanity. Matthew 1, verse 21 says this, She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Again, he's fulfilling the purpose and plan that was created back in eternity past, the timeless beginning. So then now you ask the question, what year was Jesus actually born? What year was he born? Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, recorded that Herod died in April of 4 BC. Now you know the story. Yet sometime before Herod died, he had calculated that Jesus might have already been alive two years because, you know, he was afraid that a king was coming to take his place. And he said that all boys ages two and younger must be killed. So now if Herod dies in 4 BC based upon historical records, and he says that all kids two and younger, all boys must die, we know that Jesus' birth actually was somewhere between 6 B.C. and 4 B.C. That's what we know. He could have been born in 6 B.C. So when did Jesus' ministry actually begin? He's a carpenter by trade. Jesus was a boy. We have the story about him in the temple talking to to the Pharisees and mom and dad leave. It's about the only story that we have of him as a child. Mom and dad forgetting him back at the temple. I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. He's hanging out with the Pharisees, teaching them like at the age of 12 years old. It said he he grew in wisdom and stature. Like when Jesus was a baby boy, he didn't know everything. He grew in wisdom. He grew. The Father revealed these things to him, and that's what we know about his life. you, You read all that story through Matthew and Mark and Luke. All four New Testament Gospels mention the ministry of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. But only Luke makes the essential connection with this secular history. Luke 3, 1 actually states that the word of the Lord came to John in the 15th year of the reign of Caesar Tiberius, calling him to preach in the region around the Jordan River. The reigns of the Roman emperors are well known in secular history. Watch this. Caesar Augustus reigned during the period 27 B.C. to A.D. 14 and was followed by Caesar Tiberius, who reigned during the period... 14 A.D. to 37 A.D. This is not biblical history. This is world history. Therefore, the 15th year of Tiberius' reign must have been A.D. 28, the time that John the Baptist came around. We know that John the Baptist came around in 28 A.D. in his ministry. 
the law prescribed a minimum age of 30 years before someone could enter into priestly service. Remember that Jesus went away, went away for a period of time, and then he comes back probably at the age of 30. Probably around 28 AD, the time that John the Baptist appeared. We know that he was tested for 40 days in the Judean wilderness based upon Luke, which time he returned to the region of Galilee. And therefore, we believe that Jesus' ministry began around 28 AD. So now, the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of Jesus. He's walking here on earth that eternal fellowship that exists within the Godhead continues unbroken. It simply moves from the heavens to here on earth where Jesus has taken up residence. Colossians 2.9 says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. The entire nature of God dwells in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. If you take the message, which is another trans, translation, a paraphrase, a paraphrase of the Bible, it actually says this. Everything of God gets expressed in him, Jesus. So you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. From the beginning of time to the point where Jesus was delivered here as the Son of God. So now his ministry starts. You get to this fourth period. It's his ministry in Galilee. How, how long was his actual ministry? How long did Jesus do ministry and when did Jesus actually die? The Bible doesn't actually give a duration of Jesus' ministry, but it does record two distinct Passovers that we talked about as we went through the Gospels during his ministry. And then the, there was a following Passover that occurred after that, mentioned in John 2, another one in John 6, and then the final one in John 13. Three Passovers when he was crucified. Now, think about it. It could have been that Jesus' ministry began before that first Passover. It had to end on the last Passover. So we know that there's a span of three years there, possibly. The problem with such a view is that it forces Jesus' entire Galilean ministry talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke into this interval of only about 18 months if you just stick with two Passovers. That's almost impossible. And for this reason, most scholars believe that Jesus' ministry actually lasted a little over three years and that a mention of a fourth Passover is simply omitted. That they just didn't talk about it. So depending upon one's view, the ministry would have probably ended around spring of 30 AD like we've talked in the past. 
30 AD. Started sometime in 28, maybe even 27. Passover happened in 28, 29, and 30. So in Galilee, Jesus then, he calls 12 men to live with him for three years. We've got Peter. We've got James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus, who, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Uh, Andrew, who was the brother of Peter. Philip. Bartholomew, who's also referred to as Nathaniel. Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, also called Judas. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. Just as the son fellowships with his heavenly father, now he's decided to take these 12 disciples and teach them about the fellowship with the son. Those those 12 dudes, they're like a, a primitive embryo of this community. I mean, we've talked about it over the last couple of years, just how young and immature that they really were, but the Lord decided to use them. Three years goes by. Now you get to the fifth thing. You get to Calvary. This is 30 AD. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It's Friday, noon to three. The sacrifice is made. The cries of the lambs fill Jerusalem as they're slaughtered for the feast. But we know that Jesus is the real Lamb of God, and He's crucified. Jesus breathes His last life. The earthquake occurs. The veil's torn from the temple, from the top to the bottom. Jesus has now solved the problem of the fall of man back in Genesis 1. Sunday, Jesus was put into the earth as the corn of wheat suffering from death alone. He resurrected as a new grain with many others to follow. It says in John 12, verse 23, Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. That's you. Jesus then resurrects. He meets with the twelve and He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Not in them, but on them. John 20, 21 says this. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus ascends to heaven, takes the right hand seat next to the Father. He's now acting as the high priest for all believers. The high priest is the one that brought the confession of sin to the Father. He's paved the way for the church. Again, it's a community that will express God's nature. How many books have been written in the New Testament at this point? Zero. Zero. And then we get to the point where we're wanting to get to. The church the church is born. God's done this eternity past. He sent His Son. He grew up. He had His ministry. He was crucified. He rose again. Gave the Spirit to the disciples. And the church is about to explode. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 says, And to shed light 
for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you get this? From eternity past, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit had this plan of having community with us. And we walk around here think it's about having community with ourselves. The beauty of it is this, is that we are a community that has community with the Trinity. And because of that, we have community with one another. Amen. That's it. That's it. He created you because He loves you. Doggone it, if you don't walk out of here feeling pretty special this morning, you totally miss what the Spirit's saying to you. It ain't what I'm saying to you. But from eternity past, He's known all about you. He's loved you. He's created you. He knows what you've done. He took care of that for you. He totally took care of all that for you. I'm leaving in three weeks with a group of junior high and high school students. How in the world do you express to them that this God, this amazing God, has done this for them and that He loves them dearly? As a pastor, I... I sometimes selfishly take that upon myself. But then I quickly realize it's not my deal. God, if you're going to do this in the students, uh, it's going to be you that has to do it. And I'll say the same thing to this room right here. God, if you're going to cause this group to understand that you love them, it isn't going to be because I'm standing here telling them. It's going to be because you've proved it to them. <coughs> and that's my prayer for you. Father, I, um, I trust you in this room. I trust that your word speaks clearly. It's it, it just absolutely amazing that you knew from the beginning of time. And even before time. That we'd be sitting here today rejoicing in you, thinking about what you have given to us. So I pray that revelation has occurred here this morning, Lord, that you have done that. That these ones that are sitting here in grief, in hurt, in chaos, if there's anything they walk away with today, is they know that you absolutely love them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Now.